2: Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. On this week's show, we discuss the Champions League morphing into the Super League, US Open Cup takes a giant leap forward, Marsh's situation at Leeds United, Fox hates streaming, and EA Sports and FIFA split up. Plus, we have uh, all the answers and questions from you, the listeners. On the panel today, we have Kartik Krishnayer and Kyle Fansler. My name is Christopher Harris. All right, guys, there's a lot to get to. Um, Kartik. we missed you last week, and I know you've been very busy. We'll start in one place and then move on from there. And that place is the... I, th- I think I think probably Kyle and I, Kartik, over the last couple of weeks, have watched... I mean, we've watched, I mean, you name it, top of the table, Champions League, clashes in the in Europa League, in, in the Premier League title race and all these things. However, at the same time, too... I'm sure, Kyle, you're probably the same way as me, enthralled by the relegation battle. Kartik, you're, you're more so on the all-in on the relegation battle in terms of—why what, what, is that? Is it because it means more?
0: It's more interesting to me. I mean, Liverpool or Man City win the, the Premier League every year. Bayern wins the Bundesliga every year. Real Madrid or Barcelona or Atleti win La Liga every year. Uh uh, Serie A a little more interesting, uh, truthfully, uh, than the other leagues. But yeah, that's the reason. Plus, I'm very focused on lower divisions in England. So uh, the Premier League matches have tended to conflict with, for example, Joey Barton's seven-goal heist <laughs> for Bristol Rovers the other day, which I wanted to focus on uh, promotion from uh, League 2 to League 1 and uh, championship matches as well. So the, it's 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 about priorities, right? I, it's not that I don't want to watch Liverpool or don't want to watch Man City or don't want to watch um, a Real Madrid. It's just that you know these matches all take place off relatively at the same time, and you have to prioritize what you watch and what you're interested in.
2: Yeah, it, it is interesting though too, because because then our viewing uh, choices are, are very different. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to watch as much as I can, but I think we all listeners too have to make choices. So there's so much uh, options to choose from. Uh, Kyle, what about you? What's what's your uh, what's your area? That you've been kind of concentrating more so on, uh, if you had to pick one one league or one team or one one specific focus that that's really captivating you. Uh, in terms of captivating me, I think you guys are
3: spot on with the the relegation battle, especially in the Premier League. And Chris, we talked about this last week how you know we're so focused on the Premier League compared to relegation battles in the other major European leagues and. Uh, Over the last couple of weeks, just watching what Burnley's been able to do after sacking dice, just the the uptick in form that they've had, watching Jesse Marsh, he's been struggling a little bit, but to be fair to him, uh, playing against Chelsea, Liverpool, uh, Manchester City, not going to be favorable for him. Everton, the same way, they've had an uptick in form, just like Burnley. It's just been a lot of drama there, and it's just, each game's important, like the midweek games that we just saw yesterday and uh, this past weekend, they're, each one's important. Each one has a different impact and the result, you know, it's unpredictable. Uh, I mentioned Everton, you know, being able to pull off a result against Chelsea. It just keeps you entertained because you never know what you're going to get.
2: Yeah, it's interesting though too because like sometimes, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys are the same way too, but sometimes I'll tweet something out about Leeds United and get very little response. I can tweet something out about Liverpool and just people go crazy in terms of, it's one of those things. I mean, Liverpool at this point in time, Probably one of the best Liverpool teams of all time, and and they haven't they haven't won much yet this season. There's still a lot of things to to, to uh, the, you've got the FA Cup final on Saturday. You've got the title race, which they're hanging on. I think right now it looks like it's going to be City that's going to win it. You have got the Champions League, but arguably Liverpool this team is one of the best Liverpool teams of all time, which which says a lot in terms of how great they were in the 70s and 80s, early 80s especially. Um, But then, I mean, the relegation battle is something still that does intrigue me too because it is one of those things. It means so much because a team staying up versus going down has a dramatic impact on that team. Leeds United is probably the best example here too in terms of uh, the struggles that they're going through and uh, Kyle you mentioned too just the, just some of the games they've had recently even against Chelsea and Arsenal etc that had some really difficult games um, the schedule was not kind to Jesse Marsh by any way uh, by any means in terms of the way that these uh, teams are lining up but Kartik if you could evaluate the situation and analyse the situation what's going wrong here?
0: Well, I totally disagree, right? He got he got Watford and Norwich pretty quickly after he got the job. Okay, so to say that the, the fixtures have been unfriendly is is really kind of very very recency effect. And and he he won both those matches. They struggled to beat Norwich, by the way. Uh, so let's not forget that uh, they have not played particularly well under Marsh, except for I would say maybe from minute sixty on against Wolves. That whole match against Watford, they were pretty good. They were good at points in the in the Leicester match, which they lost. Uh, but what has gone wrong? Okay, so those of you who follow me on Twitter, and it seem like uh, my tweets created a, a storm, you can't say anything critical about any American. I, I get that. I've learned that the hard way many, many times. And Americans get ultra defensive about their own. And, and I'm a big Jesse Marsh fan. And I've been a big advocate of his for several years. But you, you just got to report what you're told uh, and what you hear. And there are people in the UK who are Who were actually kind of impressed by the refreshing nature of Marsh coming in, especially after Bielsa, who has a bit of a reputation of being a tyrant, being um, uh, very, very... ideologically uh pure to the to the point where uh uh, training sessions are really regimented uh it's it's a really strict disciplined uh setup and and, and the tactical setup uh during matches is really uh uh regimented and 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 they do Conte teams do a lot of running also Uh, but what has been observed uh, during this period, including uh, the matches that they were getting results in, was that uh, there seems to be very, very little wide play, uh, very, very use of, very bad use of width, very poor built, sustained build-up play under Marsh, and... Um, A disproportionate number of injuries, which some of the people tell me have to do with the training methods changing Uh, and the specific training regimen they think that Marsh has implemented, which in fairness to him, Bielsa's training is unlike anyone else's. So maybe quickly changing to a different setup uh, creates these problems. And then a lack of discipline in the team. We saw that again yesterday with uh, Danny James, uh, Dan James, early red card. So, um. There is a concern that the team uh, doesn't have um, the structure and the platform to build on to get the points they need and and get through this relegation fight. And I have to say um, the other complaint is that they thought that uh, Bielsa – Bielsa's a legend, right? So it's tough to follow a legend in fairness to Marsh. But the people I've spoken to also say that Marsh himself is pretty ideologically – I wouldn't say an ideological zealot, but is very there isn't much pragmatism to his setup. So there's one way of playing. It really depends on high pressing. It really depends on creating chances quickly after changes of possession, right? So if you're even in a position where you're maintaining possession and you have sustained build-up play, you're not creating the number of chances you need to, good chances. So... Uh, the concern is even in matches, they were losing 6-0, 7-0 nil, nil at the end under Bielsa. They were creating more good chances than they are at this point. Um, we could go into a contrast uh, on Frank Lampard because I, um, I've been very impressed with what I've seen Lampard do with Everton. Uh, I watched them closely, so maybe other people haven't observed some of the things I've observed. Uh, we could do that, but may- maybe that's something the listeners aren't interested in. But I think Lampard has done a very good job, uh, just real quickly, so that... Um, in, in maximizing the individual talents of the players he inherited. Alex Iwobi is a great example. He's using him very differently than um, previous managers at Arsenal and Everton have used him. Same thing with Fabian Delph. So um, I think you're seeing maybe Marsh a little bit out of his depth. Granted, Leeds does not have the caliber of player Everton has, period. That, that That's the bottom line. So may have been an easier job for Lampard.
2: Yeah, I think we have to be honest with ourselves. I mean, we we all want Leeds United to do well uh, this season in terms of, especially for Jesse Marsh, because it it means more than Jesse Marsh. It means more. It means really in terms of kind of the uh, the stigma against Meri- American coaches in England, particularly uh, in terms of they, they get a, they get a bad rap, right? It is probably if you go to any English person on the streets of London and say to them, "Hey, uh, name some some really good American coaches." they probably can't think of anyone. And Jesse Marsh is the only one right now. And he's a great coach. I mean, great pedigree, great background. But I'm going to ask both of you this question. So uh, do you think Leeds United stays up? And do you think that uh, Leeds United will still have Jesse Marsh in uh, in charge in in August? Uh, Kyle, what do you think?
3: To the first question, I don't think Leeds will stay up just because based on the way things are kind of shaping up for them and the form of Burnley, which I mentioned earlier, is kind of shocking. Not only me, but I feel like a lot of people. I feel like Burnley and Everton, what they've been able to do over the last couple of weeks just to kind of regain their form while Leeds is uh, tapered off a little bit, going up against those tougher opponents, it just kind of put those two sides in a better position. Leeds, um, I thought Kartik was spot on there, you know. A lot's gone wrong for them, and some of that's, you know, they can control that, some of that they can't, but in general, it just hasn't really worked out for them. So I don't think Leeds will stay up, and uh, I, you're right, Chris, I think that's a shame uh, that Jesse Marsh, I would like to see him in the Premier League next season, um, and it, I don't know, I think it's hard to say if Jesse Marsh will be there next season. I think if he is there next season, he has a little more time to kind of develop his tactics and make that more gradual change from Bielsa over to Leeds' style of play, even though there are, they do share a lot of similarities, I think it will be... A nice fit, being able to see maybe leads in the Premier League uh, the following season after next season. Um, but if I had to, you know, say an answer, yes or no, he's gonna, if he's gonna, is he going to be there? Uh, just my intuition tells me no, because that's what I feel like a lot of teams do after they get relegated is time for change.
0: Well, I said all along that I thought Burnley would stay up. I, I had assumed a couple of weeks ago that meant Everton was going down. I, I have a lot of faith in Burnley because they have veteran players. They have guys who've been through the grind a lot, guys who are experienced in English football specifically, uh, both at the championship and Premier League level. So I've always fancied them to stay up. I'm beginning to lose faith based on that uh, Villa match uh, the other day and how, uh, even though they came bu- came from behind and rescued the match against Watford, how poorly they played for 80 minutes in that match. Uh, but I guess I'm still going to say, because I've said it all season, Burnley will stay up, which means Leeds goes down i do think he stays on as manager but here's the scenario we've seen a lot of cases where clubs have been relegated from the premier league they've stuck with the manager they've given the manager a summer to rebuild the squad and then by october it hasn't been going well in the championship they haven't been in the top two or the top three or the top four and uh we've seen managers sacked we even saw uh, a few years ago darren moore sacked at west Brom after he had taken them down right uh in in, uh, in in a situation where they were sitting third or, third or fourth in the table, they were going to be in the championship playoffs. So, I think he survives. I think he really has to get it right in the summer. And uh, we'll only have a short period of time. And then the championship, when you talk about going to October, that's not seven matches like the Premier League. That's like 12 matches with the midweek fixture. Actually, this year it might be different, right, because of the World Cup. So uh, maybe it's earlier, maybe it's September that that, uh, he gets sacked if things don't turn around. But he'll get about 10 to 12 matches next season.
2: What I find is interesting, uh, guys, is that we're talking about relegation. And oftentimes, when people mention Pro REL, uh, they talk about all of the benefits of it and all the great things about it, how, how wonderful it is. I, I think, in many ways, actually, the relegation part of Pro REL is more interesting than the promotion part of it. Um, especially, if you look at the championship, right? It's with the parachute payments. Oftentimes, the teams that go down from the Premier League are the teams that come back up the next season or or a couple of seasons thereafter. And we've got Fulham and Bournemouth coming back into uh, the Premier League. And it's always that third team that, that is, I mean, through the playoffs... Who knows who it could be? And 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 Cardiff, you could probably talk for hours about Luton Town and Huddersfield and Nottingham Forest and Sheffield United and all the the, the pros and cons of those teams and those players and managers. But I, I think it's I think it's the relegation part of it that makes Pro Rel so exciting. Here we are, the three of us talking about relegation, and 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 that's the thing that keeps us. I mean watching these games, the Burnleys, the Everton's, the the Leeds Uniteds. Um, just basically, basically glued to those games. And yes, we're watching. I mean, most of us are watching. You mean the, the the race for the top four, the title race, you know, race for Europe. But mostly, oftentimes, it's the same teams battling for those same positions. Just that the order is kind of mixed up. Kartik, what do you think?
0: Yeah, Chris. Uh, one thing. Or what, yeah, the one thing I want to point out about that is that I, as I think our listeners know I go on Talksport. Uh, at least once a week generally recently it's been like two or three times a week to talk about the championship and there is growing concern from talk sport listeners and people who call in about parachute payments and how that's creating a discrepancy in the championship where what happened what you just said is happening too much in the championship which is that you have the teams that get the parachute payments come right back up two teams every year you know which two what what two teams are going to probably get automatic promotion and this year in the Premier League, the two teams that were automatically promoted from the Championship last season had been relegated from the Premier League the previous season and are finishing 19th and 20th. League, so it's a it's kind of a vicious cycle that a lot of supporters of other clubs now are getting angry about, and they weren't necessarily angry about it four or five years ago. So that's something to keep an eye on. It's also remarkable, though, that Brentford. We have to say, right? They 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 they're not a team that had ever been in the top or had not been in the top flight in 60 years. Uh, they get promoted through the playoffs, and they're going to finish mid-table this season and have a lot to say about, actually, the rest of the relegation fight, whereas uh, these two teams that have been getting parachute payments and have been uh, shooting up and down go right back down, and who finished ahead of them in the championship last year. But, yeah, to me, it's more interesting. It's just that's something to watch, Chris and Kyle. Uh, what uh, And, again, it's not something I volunteered information about. It's being on TalkSport, hearing what the callers and the listeners and the hosts are interested in. That's a growing concern in the UK about promotion and relegation is that teams that get relegated from the Premier League to the Championship have a built in financial advantage. They're therefore kind of disenfranchising the rest of the Championship.
2: Yeah, lots of good games coming up uh, in the coming weeks. we got the you mean championship playoff games, League One, League Two, and those finals. Um, yeah, it's for me, it's one of the, the best times of the year, the, the month of May, because also you have you mean Champions League, Europa League, et cetera, et cetera. Now, while the U.S. does not have promotion relegation, uh, and it doesn't have a pyramid, it's kind of a mixture of all these different leagues at different levels. And it's it's a mess that I think we can all agree. Uh, one of the, the things that we do like a lot is the U.S. Open Cup. And the whole concept of it in terms of you mean, lower league cl- clubs playing against major league clubs and uh, major league soccer clubs. And, and this week we had uh, the latest round of 32 in the U.S. Open Cup. This time it was a little bit different. Uh, 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 Kartik uh, and Kyle, our prayers have been answered. Uh, we've said all along, I think for years really, that um, that tournament needs a uh, whip around show. Because there's so many games going on, uh, e- actually even World Soccer Talk. We did some uh, with Rabble many years ago. We did it with uh, Daniel uh, Feuerstein. Uh, we did a riparound around show uh, covering all the games. And we finally got it on uh, Wednesday night. And that was uh, courtesy of Football America's show on ESPN Plus with Hercules Gomez and Sebastian Salazar. Uh, and it was good. It was great. However, there were... No upsets. (laughs) I I think that's the thing we're missing is like, okay, it's great to have a whip around show and see all these uh, stadiums from around the country. Some of them are lower uh, lower level uh, stadiums, of course. Uh, The teams weren't able to cause any upsets. And I I think that's the part that's missing. Uh, I'll go to you, Kartik, just because you're kind of the expert on lower league soccer. But you mean, is there any hope for change in the future where these lower division sides are more likely to cause some upsets in the round of uh, 32 in the future
0: no, no i mean although i've been involved with two two uh lower division sides that have made the quarterfinals right uh, of the tournament i mean when i was with fort lauderdale we uh we were able to advance past dc united uh, beat orlando in orlando and then get to the quarterfinals and, and lose to uh chicago so it happens from time to time obviously miami fc also uh remember their run the following year uh but I uh I think it's getting rarer and rarer partly because there's a greater discrepancy now because MLS keeps expanding and so those those players that were elite players at the NASL or USL level or even at the Division 3 level are now being lobbed off uh, with MLS expansion and so the gap and 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 the USL continues to grow and NISA continues to grow as it goes on, so the the gap has widened. I do think the, the cool part of a whip around show, and you mentioned Daniel and he deserves full credit, he's the one who kind of invented this idea. Um, really is good in the first and second rounds when you have a lot of amateur teams you have a lot of teams people aren't familiar with and uh you have a ton of upsets in the first and second round every year uh yeah i love the fact that seven Herc were able to get this done uh it's just maybe they would have wished to have started earlier in the tournament i know they probably would have wished to have started earlier in the tournament but it's it's significant buy-in from espn right to do this which lends the question of the rights we've talked about this over and over again guys uh, USSF has done a deal with with Turner Sports with Warner Media for the future which includes at least in theory US Open Cup rights but ESPN has shown this season that they can they can promote the product and secondly the production levels which are not controlled by ESPN by the way which the Federation has invested in and there's a new US Open Cup commissioner uh, this season mr. Applegate uh, uh, rep- uh, replacing Merstadter, R- who, who had been uh, Marstetler, who had been the commissioner previously so there's been a kind Of a refocus on producing good, um, good open cup related content from the federation, which includes higher production levels for the broadcast. Look very familiar, right, to the FA Cup broadcast. Um, I think they kind of copied it to be honest with you, but that's fine, that's fine. But
2: the um, but the concern, but the concern is, is uh, for me at least, is that so we know that ESPN Plus doesn't have the rights next year. Uh, then if if uh, Seb and Her could do another whip-around show, Goldcast is what they're ca- are calling it, in the ne- next round, which is great. However, I don't have a lot of interest yeah, in watching too. the rest me of the too. tournament. Right,
0: once it's down to MLS teams, I don't watch it. I'll be honest. Even though people... Uh Perceive me as a big advocate of this competition, which I am from my lower division background, I tend to tune out from the quarterfinals on. And it's because it's always some MLS team that wins it. And it's just like a self-contained competition of MLS teams. It's not it's not terribly exciting from that point on. Um, But the question is, does the Federation think about maybe doing a separate deal of Turner's not interested with ESPN because they did such a good job with this?
2: yeah i and it seems that uh Turner sports isn't that interested in the u s Open Cup uh, so much so that they didn't even mention it uh in the press release and and we had to be one of the first ones to report that uh, actually that was part of the deal we had to confirm you had to ask you have to ask, have to ask them directly chris <laughs> I know. They didn't even know they had it. And, and they had it. And, and they didn't mention it. And we found out and we reported it. So it does not look good for the future in terms of next year, unless they've had a kind of a an awakening. And then they're like, Oh, wow. Okay, this is actually something we can turn this into something uh, worthwhile. <laughs> All right. So looking ahead to this, uh, this weekend, uh, Kyle, I'll go to you in a minute. But uh, in terms of uh, matches to watch this weekend, I'm going for the easy one. It's an easy one, but it's going to be a, an incredible one, I think. The FA Cup final, Liverpool against Chelsea on Saturday, 11.45 Eastern time uh, on ESPN+. Plus, and I believe Klopp has never won the uh, FA Cup. This will give uh, Liverpool an opportunity to get their second trophy this season. They've already got the uh, the League Cup. And... Uh, This one's a little bit funny, I think, because the start time is a little bit strange. 11.45 Eastern Time on on a Saturday. Why is that? Well, it's because of the Eurovision Song Contest, which is this uh, annual event that happens in Europe where they have all these amateur uh, singers uh, from around Europe that compete in this uh, song contest. And it's a massive deal. It's such a massive deal that uh, the BBC in, in England is broadcasting it live to to millions of people. Um, so the timing of that event <laughs> means that that this is why the Liverpool uh, Chelsea game kicks off a little bit earlier.
0: But but why is it? On, but why is it? Why is it uh, on the on May 14th? So I, I remember this is the day actually, Saturday, May 14th. Man City won their first trophy in 35 years when they won the FA Cup uh, in 2011 but that was also an odd one and the reason that season was that the Champions League final was at Wembley but this season the Champions League final is not at Wembley so why is this match being played on May 14th?
2: That I don't know (laughs) but I I don't know that's probably a Wembley question right as far as I don't know. Yeah,
0: they must have booked another event, I must guess.
2: Must be a, like a concert or something. Elton John, who knows, on his uh, tour. <laughs> Probably, right? Um, all right, Kyle, let's, go, let's move to you. So I, I've got uh, FA Cup final. What's your game to watch this weekend?
3: So we talk about the relegation battles, the title races. I think the earlier we said the Premier League is just about wrapped up with uh, Liverpool trailing by three points now. But one that is on the verge of being wrapped up is over in Italy and. the uh, Milan plays uh, Atalanta this weekend on Sunday at noon Eastern. And uh, it's an important game, not just because of the title race. Like I said, Milan, they currently have a two point lead over Inter in the league, and there's two games remaining. So, say a win here pretty much puts them on the cusp. Can guarantee it if uh, Inter drops points this weekend. But equally important in Syria is Atalanta. And Chris, you and I talked about the logjam of teams that are vying for European competition next season in Syria. And I'm looking at the the table right now, there's Roma, Fiorentina and Atalanta are all tied on 59 points and Lazio is just ahead of them on 62 and each of these teams has three or two games remaining, excuse me. And so there's two European spots up for grabs here. And we're used to seeing Atalanta over the last couple of seasons in the Champions League. I think in 2020 it was they were in the quarterfinals and they were two minutes away from the, the semifinals having PSG knocked them out with that weird dramatic comeback at the end of the game. So this game between Milan and Atalanta is important for the title, it's important for the European qualification, it's just got all your makings for what, in my opinion, has been the best league to watch from top to bottom when it comes to title race, uh, European qualification and a relegation battle too. Yeah,
2: yeah, and I, and I think CBS and Paramount Plus have done a really, really good job of uh, covering this league this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly a step up, I, I think. And ESPN did great, too. But this is, a, I mean, a major step up f- uh, from BN Sports to ESPN to now CBS and, and Paramount+. Plus. Kartik, what about you? What's your match to watch this weekend?
0: That's a really good one from Kyle, by the way. And Atalanta uh, have, I think now Gasparini is dealing with the fact that they have sold too many guys. Um, and the second half of this season hasn't gone well for them. I'm going for right before the FA Cup final, on uh, on uh, uh, ESPN Plus. This is also an odd start time for a, a playoff semifinal on a Saturday, uh, which generally you don't have playoff semifinals, uh, but it is Sheffield United versus Nottingham Forest, the first leg uh, of uh, the championship uh, playoff semifinal. Forest under Steve Cooper have been fantastic, except in that game against uh, Bournemouth, which unfortunately I had a meeting and I missed, but I understand uh, they look like they had set up to try and nick win, which uh, is very un-Steve Cooper-like, but I didn't see that match. Uh, Other than that, they've been fantastic, although they had the chance to go up directly if they had won that match. Uh, Now they play a Sheffield United team that has gotten better as the season has gone on, a team that still has a core of players that finished whatever eighth or ninth something like that in the Premier League two seasons ago so really good matchup here and I'd recommend folks watch it Uh, Huddersfield-Luton by the way uh, quick plug for that that's the other uh, semi-final Luton has overachieved under Nathan Jones uh, this season great story I do think Huddersfield probably make easy work of them in that in in those two legs though.
2: Yeah, there is nothing better than seeing some of these championship playoffs. I mean, yes, there's Champions League, World Cup and all these other things too. But but these games mean so much to the fans of, say, Nottingham Forest. It's been over 20 years since they've been in the the Premier League. A lot of heartache over the years. Um, And then Sheffield United, of course, have been in the Premier League uh, pretty recently, but very much... A yo-yo club in terms of, you know, I mean, doing well, but then back down again, and, and vice versa. For these fans, this means everything. This mean this means, I mean, the whole city of Sheffield, uh, the whole city of uh, Nottingham will be focused on this game, as as would Huddersfield and uh, Luton. All right, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news. We've got an interesting mix this week. Uh, first up is a comment from one of our uh, regular listeners, JP. And he noticed something this week in Wall Street Journal that I thought I'd share. And uh, JP says uh, Fox Corporation won't use its portfolio of live sports to boost its streaming platforms, Chief Executive um, Lachlan Murdoch said on a call with analysts to discuss uh, quarterly results this week. Many of Fox's, and this is coming from the Wall Street Journal, many of Fox's competitors, including Paramount and uh, NBC Universal, offering live sports on their respective streaming service services Paramount Plus and Peacock to attract more subscribers Mr Murdoch said that for Fox such an approach would damage the significant distribution revenues it gets for its broadcast and cable channels So to me this this says mm. hey Fox uh we're all in on TV on cable we're going to max that out for as much as we can uh we're, we're kind of uh, primitive. We're a little bit of the, the dodo bird. We're, 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 we're kind of way back. We're not looking to the future. We're not looking to streaming. But Kartik, what does this say for their soccer rights? I mean, you mean does it, what do you think about this?
0: Yeah. So first off, as someone who's just recently read a uh, a, a, a biography or, a, or an analysis of the Murdoch brothers, I realized this very much is Lachlan Murdoch because his brother James Murdoch, who's no longer involved uh, with the family business and, and actually uh, you know was hoping to get a seat on the Disney board when that tr- uh, transaction took place, was very much an advocate of streaming and using streaming as a gateway to bring customers in, which is why. Uh, that that brother aligned more with the Disney vision than with his own father and brother's vision for Fox uh, hence part of the reason he's out of, among other reasons, out of the family business. So this very much sounds like Lachlan Murdoch, so I'm not surprised based on what I've read uh, about him recently, uh, but I think it's the wrong approach. I think that they they are now limiting their ability to compete in what is now becoming the newest form of media. And it's really interesting from this company because they've been on the cutting edge of everything for the last 50 years. They were the, they were on the cutting edge of buying ta- uh, tabloid newspapers in the UK and, and 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 exploiting that tabloid audience they were on the cutting edge of creating that sort of brand with the new york post when they bought that and changed that paper completely here they were on the cutting edge of creating provocative primetime content with the fox network and then they were on the cutting edge of creating a conservative news network with fox news and changed the way sports was covered in this country with the way they broadcast the nfl in particular but also other sporting events including soccer so They've been on the cutting edge for 50 years, the Murdoch family. This is very much them holding on to the stuff they've created and not realizing that the world is continuing to evolve. It's kind of surprising when you think about their history, but it also makes sense when you, when you read what I've read recently about Lachlan versus James Murdoch. And Lachlan is not an advocate of using streaming to bol- bolster the uh, core product. He wants the core product to remain the core product.
2: So it's interesting, though, too, because this makes a lot of sense in terms of how Fox has been treating uh, soccer rights. So, for example, them acquiring the rights to the European Championships, a lot of big tournaments, they've acquired the rights to Copa America. They have a Gold Cup. They have the World Cup. And uh, I mean, pretty much everyone knows right now that they're not that interested in Major League Soccer uh, for, to renew the rights deal that's uh, coming up uh, this year. So this makes sense in terms of uh, going after the big ones, the big games, the big tournaments that people will watch on television primarily. Um, And then kind of the niche sports, so to speak, in terms of uh, all the the games are covered on streaming. They're not interested in as much. Um, However, I mean, and I think in many ways, too, they're looking for partners. So, like, for example, the European Championships. So Euro 2024 is going to be on Fox Sports. Not every single game, though. So, all the major games will be on Fox Sports, but the lesser games, so maybe it's, say, I don't know, Albania against Wales, as one example, that's going to be on Fubo TV. So, they've partnered with Fubo TV, and Fubo's going to have um, the rights to the games that are going to be less attractive. But still, I mean, if you're from Albania or, for, or you're from Wales, that game means so much to you but numbers wise it's not going to be as great as the tv numbers but yeah it's interesting i mean this this definitely does uh, give us a better indication of what they're going after and why they wouldn't be interested in mls ratings because i mean mls uh, renewal just because the the numbers aren't there the numbers aren't uh, producing probably the revenue that they're looking for
3: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites.
0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
2: All right, so we're going to skip and, and go to talking about a breakup, a divorce. EA Sports is splitting up with FIFA um, they are no longer going to, going to have, EA Sports is not going to uh, be producing the FIFA video game anymore. They'll, they will produce a, a video game. It's going to be called EA Sports FC. Uh, and FIFA then is going out and going, I'm sure, talking to Konami and a whole bunch of other uh, companies out there about maybe developing a different game with a FIFA name on it. Kyle, are you a video game gamer on, on the FIFA?
3: I got a big uh, love hate relationship with FIFA. I've been playing it since FIFA ten, um, and I got really good at it in FIFA fifteen and sixteen, and then the game just it just broke too many controllers. I'm not going to blame myself because
1: um, you know <laughs>
3: those goals that I conceded were definitely not my fault. But um, it's uh, it's bittersweet to see this news about EA and FIFA splitting up because I saw Kartik tweeted out that. FIFA, the video games, is such a driving force for soccer in this country. I go talk to my friends who don't watch soccer, and I say, uh, "When you hear FIFA, what do you think about?" And the first thing they'll say is, "Oh, the video game that some of my friends play." And obviously, us in the soccer world, when we hear FIFA, we're going to think about the world governing body for soccer. But in the U.S., especially when soccer is such a, a growing sport and it's in its developmental, well, I will, and yeah, developmental stage, I think is a, a fair word to say it's been growing. FIFA has driven what we, what the, the general public's understanding, especially the youth's understanding of the game, because it's an easy way to learn players, learn leagues, learn how the game works, and you can have fun doing it, unless you get good at it, and then it gets frustrating. It's uh, FIFA has been a big part of me growing up. It was the game I played after middle school, after high school, whenever I would get home, so it's big news. I think this doesn't really impact the way the game works outside of you know, it's marketing. Uh, I think the biggest change will be the fact that EA's version will no longer have the world cup, which they only got ahead of the 2018 world cup or got back in the game ahead of the 2018 world cup. Um, so they'll still have access to a lot of leagues. I'm sure this will change their, their agreements with things like the premier league. I mean, we saw Pez have to call certain premier league sides like London red or London blue for Arsenal and Chelsea respectively. I'm interested to see how that's going to play out. Cause FIFA for a long time has had the biggest you know, rights for leagues, rights for teams, and players included in that. Um, so I'm interested to see where that plays out from here. But uh, yeah, bittersweet, as I said.
2: All right, what what's your take on this?
0: Yeah, so it's two different audiences, right? In the U.S., I think it's a very big deal, and as I said, and I tweeted and got 160,000 views or something for the tweet, which was crazy, uh, given it was about a video game. <laughs> you know, if it's about something more more substantial, I can see that, but. Um, I think it is the biggest driver. I think it's been a bigger driver than MLS or U.S. soccer. The Federation likes to think they've driven all the interest in the sport in this country. They haven't. I think it's been a bigger driver than the Premier League, Uh, even than World Cups, because World Cups you see people watch and then they drop off for a couple of years. Uh, So it's it's hugely significant. Uh, Now, will EA continue to have that market of young people – as a gateway with the new EA Sports FC? That's a good question. Now, this has been coming, right? I mean, the announcement to me was a fait accompli. I had heard it was gonna happen a year ago and it didn't happen, right? And I think you guys had probably heard the same thing. It was, this was a divorce a long time in coming. And EA, uh, from what I'm told, and and this is, I don't know the FIFA side of it, but the EA side of it, they actually think it improves their marketability in Europe. because there is a stigma about the FIFA brand in Western Europe right now. And so uh, kind of keeping EA Sports FC, assuming they can keep all their league licenses, which I think they will, but with that assumption, they think that they might be able to position the game in a stronger position versus uh, uh, PES, you know, the Konami game and other games in the market in Western Europe. In the U.S., though, maybe it creates a free-for-all. Maybe if uh, Konami secures a FIFA license or, or someone else secures a FIFA. Fee- There's someone who has a FIFA Pro license, right, but not a FIFA license. Is that Konami or is that someone else? Um, I, I'm not sure, but if someone else, maybe the whoever has the FIFA Pro license gets the FIFA license as well, so they have the real players and they have the FIFA license, then you've got... Um, a real uh, battle in North America, but I, in Western Europe, I'm told, and again, I will concede its spin that has been personally delivered to me with a deliberate uh, intent, probably for me to say it on this podcast or, and on Twitter in this manner. Uh, there are uh, elements at EA who think it wasn't worth to, uh, it to, to kind of pay more for FIFA, and it may be more worthwhile from their marketability in Western Europe to break with FIFA because of the stigma around that organization.
2: Yeah, I think this is uh, not good news for EA or FIFA because I think it's, I mean, like like Kyle mentioned, and we've heard this for years, right, in terms of uh, FIFA, the video game, and all the problems it's had, whether it's been the servers been down or buggy or just like not as good as it normally would have been in the past. And, and also in terms of every year um the the changes weren't that great it wasn't like they they would always tout okay we've changed the engine it's going to be incredible it's gonna be faster uh and oftentimes the reality did, didn't uh, match the the hype uh the hype was much greater before and then at the same time i think fifa being greedy at this point and, and wanting far more money uh from ea to uh have their name associated with this video game um uh, you I mean they really need ea i mean ea needs needs fifa for this partnership to re- work really well and i have concerns about ea sports fc i mean it's, the name is so bland so flat so uninspiring but maybe you I mean maybe the issues that they have maybe removing the fifa name maybe they'll sell more copy, copies of it we'll see and then fifa meanwhile who knows i mean they're looking for uh, i'm sure a partner a video game company out there that is going to go ahead and give them everything they want financially, and the product may suffer. I mean, the product might be maybe it's Konami, maybe it's somebody else coming up with a product that's going to, going to be not as good because EA is not driving that at least from the early early stages. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But this is a break, big breakup, a big divorce. It's messy and uh, <laughs> uh, not Leo- Lionel Messi, but it's messy. And then in, uh, in a couple years, we'll see. It'll be a split, and we'll see EA Sports FC on the shelves. So uh, this is something Kartik that I know that you're going to hate. I haven't, even, we haven't even discussed this. We haven't even mentioned this to you. So, Kyle, I'll probably have to lean on you for this one a little bit too, because I, I know what what Kartik's take is going to be. But UEFA this week went ahead and announced their plans to uh, enhance, in their in, in their words, uh, the, the UEFA Champions League. So beginning in 2024, uh, it's going to be quite different than what it is currently. And currently you have the group stages and knockout stages, etc. So UEFA has agreed to uh, ditch the coefficient plan. And then from 2024, we'll award two Champions League places to the two countries whose clubs perform best in Europe that season. So, for example, this season, I think it's uh, probably yeah, it's got to be England and Spain who are doing the best. Oh, no, it's England and it's England and Holland. Oh, England, You know, you're right. England and Holland. So, so what they would do is then in the the Premier League, if it started now, which is not starting now, if it started now then probably Manchester United or, depending on West Ham, where West Ham ends up, but, but Manchester United or another club will get uh, into the UEFA Champions League because England's been doing so well in that competition, uh, primarily Man City and Liverpool kind of running away go, you know, into the deepest, deeper stages of the tournament. Uh, however, so, so this plan, this new plan that's going to start, it's been agreed 2024 for the UEFA Champions League, um, is going to have no group phase. It will resemble more of a league table, uh, but without every club playing each other. Eight matches guaranteed for every club. The fixtures will be de- de- uh, will be determined via a seeding system, and then the top eight qualify for the, the knockout stages. And then teams nine through twelve will compete in two-legged playoffs for for a place in the last sixteen. And then these changes are going to happen also in the Europa League and in the UEFA Europa Conference League. So, Kartik, I'm not going to go to you yet, but, but Kyle, what's your take so far on, on just these initial um, bullet points in terms of the main changes to this, what 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 they're calling the Swiss model model? Um, What's, what's your take on this? I'm still Pro-con. trying to wrap
3: my, red, my head around the whole thing. It, it, from my initial perspective, it seems a lot like what the Europa League does uh, at the at the cut when the certain Champions League teams come down and certain Europa League teams go down to the Conference League. I think the thing that took the most attention for me from this was the fact that, uh, you mentioned, England will have uh, an extra spot pretty much in the Champions League. And I read somewhere that there is legitimate, not like a, a likely Likelihood this will happen, but there is a real possibility that seven English teams could be in one Champions League season. It would require the Champions League winner and the Europa League winner to both finish sixth and seventh in the Premier League, and the top five Premier League teams to go through the Champions League. That that's a crazy possibility, but I think uh, one official from UEFA said it's like a meteorite hitting this very room or something. He has some crazy comment on that. Um, so I'm just, I'm like I said, I'm still trying to understand how it's all going to work. I mean. I think this is a way for UEFA to try and, you know, minimize some of the European Super League, you know, hey, look at England, you're going to get another spot. Uh, I'm sure the the transfer of which team performs best in Europe that season will help, uh, you know, a club in Spain and Italy and France, whatever it may be. Um, but I'm still trying to get my bearings in, in terms of what it all means. I do think it's interesting, the fact that there's no, uh, like, determined group phase. They say they're going to determine the fixtures based on a seating system. So I'm curious to see how that's going to work. Uh, who's going to play who I think uh, whenever you or for FIFA, try to make comparisons between teams that are in different countries. It's always so challenging because it's like comparing league uh, to the premier league, that they're very different competitions. So I'm just curious to see how it's all going to play out. Like you mentioned, it's in a, in a start in 2024. So we still have one more or two more. I can't do the math right now in my head, but you know, a couple more seasons of the current champions league structure, um. So I don't know. It's gonna be weird when it starts for sure.
2: All right, chaotic. Unleash your uh, negativity about this one. You have to hate this, right? Oh,
0: okay. Uh, not totally because a um, few things. One, this is a compromise. Uh, it was originally supposed to be a ten-team, uh, 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 ten matches guaranteed for every club, and that is part of the part of what triggered the Super League. Uh, let's not forget that because they were you were adding two more additional games and additional access for other clubs with that original Swiss model proposal, which uh, uh, never got formalized, but. The big clubs knew about it because they were in on the discussion. So this is a bit of a compromise. I love getting rid of the group phase. The group phase is a waste of time for me. Uh, the listeners probably know this by now, and 99% of you think I'm weird and not really a football fan because of this. But I sit and watch Bournemouth versus uh, Stoke at the same time as Champions League group stage games are on, and I am watching football. I'm just watching uh, the Championship or or, uh, or uh, Copa Italia match or something. You know something else going on because uh, I hate the group stage of the Champions. League, I do like the fact that you're going to see uh, one through eight uh, coming out, and and that that much I think is progress. What I don't think is progress that is that you still have a 16-stage, 16-team uh, knockout phase. It should be four teams or eight teams. It should be the best of the best. Uh, secondly, I don't like the extension of fifth-place teams potentially, 6th place teams getting in. This is a Champions League, and already we have a current champion of Europe in Chelsea, who has not finished. Uh, has not come close to winning the premier League title in five seasons they haven 't finished outside higher than third in the last five seasons yet they 're the champions of Europe and the champions of the world because of the world club cup so remember this is this is a cup competition this is not actually a champions league uh, and the other thing i don 't like is uh, and I continue to not like is that you get a uh, you get double jeopardy basically you get you get uh, or you get forgiveness teams that drop out of the champions League. And teams that drop out of the Europa League shouldn't get a second chance in Europa League and Conference League. I think they should be out. And they have not changed that which I thought they might change with these reforms. So I'm disappointed by that. I get that has to do with TV revenue. For example, Barcelona this year, every year there's one of those teams out of Champions League, right? Man United, Barcelona, whoever, that fall. And for TV purposes, you wanna keep them alive in European competition if you're UEFA. So I understand the reasoning why, but I don't like it from a competitive standpoint. But I do have to say this is Probably more appealing to me than the current Champions League. I'm not saying I love it; uh, I, I don't at all. But um, the current Champions League holds mm-hmm. no interest to me. So I, I, I think there's some positives here.
2: I'm surprised, Kartik, because I, I think that this is a step backwards. I think this is this is really this, what this is: is the European Super League it's a different name it's in it's it's going to be still called the champions league but this is the european super league you've got uh seeding of teams so that you can guarantee that you mean juventus and real madrid and all these heavyweights are going to play uh lesser teams um you also have have it so that not every single team is playing each other um so it it guarantees a way for the major clubs to still maintain control if, if anything actually uh Uh, More than maintain control, actually kind of maximize that control. And then also, too, you have a uh, kind of a a safety latch. So in terms of a team that may not do well that well that season, if like, say, the Italian clubs do really well in Europe and uh, Juventus and uh, AC Milan do really well then you've got kind of a, a back door for say I don't know year or somebody I, to, to get into right. the league by finishing say I don't know fourth or fifth same thing with Manchester, Manchester United this season they've had a horrible season uh, but if this plan was in place for this uh, for this coming up uh, the season in 2022-23 it gives Manchester United an opportunity to get into the Champions well, League because because well, of, well, of Liverpool-Man City oh. I mean that's yeah, that, that's I, crazy I don't thing. Like top four no, right. I don't even like top
0: four. That's my issue with the current Champions League is that teams that finish third and fourth in their league are winning Europe and are called Champions of Europe. I, 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 the Chelsea example sticks out for me because they have not finished in the top two in the Premier League since the 2016-2017 season, yet they're Champions of Europe. So I totally buy that, Chris. I agree with you. So I guess overall I have to dislike it more than I like it uh, because it's it's maybe giving a gateway for more of those teams, right? Like well, Kyle laid out, there's a scenario where the seventh place team in the Premier League could make... This competition.
2: Well, well, the strange thing, though, too, is that with this, you mean in terms of the factors of, of the the countries that have the uh, the teams that go the furthest uh, in the competitions, then getting extra places in UEFA's mind, that encourages, say, fans of Manchester United. To cheer for Liverpool and Man City yes. and hope they go really, really far, but the reality is that that would never happen, right? That's a
0: great point. <laughs> you Yeah. I mean, I that I mean, that forces Liverpool fans to root. For, it forces Man United fans to root for Liverpool. I mean, I can I you. I think you nailed it with that. That's the winning point. I, I have nothing to come back at that with because that that is ridiculous. What do you think about that?
2: All right. One more thing before we go on to the listener mailbag, and that's the Premier League has signed a deal uh, with IMG to extend the Premier League Productions contract. So, uh, v- listeners, if you're ever watching Peacock. And oftentimes the games that there are uh, there, oftentimes you may have a like a, a pre-game or halftime or post-match. Sometimes uh, that's from Premier League Productions, as is the Premier League TV channel that you get through Peacock. And now and again, NBC Sports will show you some coverage from Premier League Productions um in terms of maybe pitch side reporters or other things uh but for the most part most of that content is through peacock and and you don't get access to everything but you do get access to some stuff uh i saw i saw on twitter i think this morning that you were i I guess I, i guess not that enthusiastic about this from what you've been watching this past week No, yeah,
0: I've noticed the level of Premier League productions, I think, in some of the analysis has slipped the last, I wouldn't say just the last week, the last month or so. Uh, And to the point where I've, and maybe it's just me, so don't take it to the bank, I've started watching Sky a lot again, which I, I know I've said previously on this podcast annoys me and even some talk sport. Uh, to get my morning fixed because basically uh, every morning I wake up uh, I have to take my niece to school but I'm up early so I'm checking out what's going on in the Premier League uh, maybe this is what's made me more uh, English football focused this season than previous seasons but I'm, I'm checking out usually that Premier League channel on Peacock what I've ended up doing the last week or two is more of talk sport and sky sports in the morning to get my my daily update and my daily fix
2: yeah, we, we didn't plan this either. But the, but the same thing's happened to me, Kartik, because, like, from the last, I'd say the last probably two months or so, um, for pre match coverage, um, I haven't been watching NBC Sports for the most part. So I've been tuning in to um, BBC Radio 5, 5 Live, uh, for the pre match discussion, analysis, the build up to games. Um, sometimes talk sports, but more, more often BBC Radio 5 Live, and, and also Premier League productions. So on Peacock, when they've had pregame or the, the Premier League TV channel, um, I'm just kind of really burnt out on NBC's coverage. I think it, is, it has dropped a lot this season. I think I don't know if it's budget cuts or whatever, but it, it is not as good. It, there's been a lot of more recaps. Like, for example, the one example, Leeds United against Chelsea uh, on Wednesday – Incredible first half in this game. So much happened in this first in this first half. So at halftime, watching this on Peacock, NBC Sports uh, goes ahead and plays a pre-recorded segment about Liverpool and Aston Villa and the highlights from that game, and then you. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're back to the match. There was not one word mentioned about Leeds United against and Chelsea. And NBC,
0: didn't even, and NBC did not even uh, do a, a pre-game show for this. The, that match kicked off at 2.30 Eastern time. Uh, sorry guys, I have to vent about this because I was really angry about it yesterday because that was the game I was focused on uh, at that time slot. And they didn't start NBC coverage till 3 Eastern. So you didn't even get the bonus coverage you'd typically get in the past on, on USA or on uh, the dearly the departed NBCSN. Uh, you got nothing. It was it was shocking honestly so this is why i think you and i chris are seeking out alternative uh sources of premier league news and unfortunately in the in this specific case now premier league productions is dropping off uh img premier league productions and now we're we're forced to find bbc 5 live and and, and sky and listen to them
2: yeah I, I would actually argue that premier league productions uh is not not so bad um but is not i'm still not, i'm still not getting my fix from it though i mean there's definitely some good things about it and we can talk about it in a future podcast but there are some things that they do that are really really good that uh, are worth seeking out um again most of it through peacock all right let's move on listen to mailbag first up uh, about uh, concacaf champions league dave says i enjoyed your data about english language ratings for the, the concacaf champions league final the Seattle market is about two percent of the u.s and drew about 60 percent of the viewers this, this suggests the English broadcast was 50 to 100 times more popular per capita uh, in Seattle than in the rest of the United States. If FS1 drove 25% of Seattle's enthusiasm nationwide, they would have had about 2 million viewers. Uh, Chris says, Hi, guys. As a Seattle Sounders supporter, I want to say that I totally agree with your view about uh, about the Sounders winning the Con- Con- CONCACAF Champions League. This is a massive deal for us as a club and MLS overall. When it comes to getting tickets for the Club World Cup, I am definitely putting my name on the waiting list um, the moment they go on sale. As for the Conference League, at, at first I thought it was going to be a lower-tier competition. Uh, this is the UEFA Conference League. But I have uh, pleasantly been surprised by the quality of play and the atmosphere in the stadiums. It's definitely up there with the Europa League and Champions League as important European competition. Roberto says in the podcast uh, last week, the English language viewers for the CONCACAF Champions League final were mentioned and they were poor. It was acknowledged that the Spanish language numbers were better, but no actual numbers were provided. They were high and brought the totals to 1.4 million for the first game and 1.5 million for the second. This does look good for the upcoming League's Cup. On the topic of promotion relegation and our fascination with it, Jason says Norwich City and Watford stink. They really do. I don't see uh, see them getting immediate promotion back uh, next year. Yo-yo clubs annoy the hell out of me. But uh, whomever uh, of Everton, Leeds United or Burnley gets relegated, uh, you can say there's not a single league on the planet where they would get relegated from uh, other than the English Premier League. Uh, Dave says, interesting comment and discussion about relegation interest um, in the Premier League. Your arguments of a greater connection and familiarity with the Premier League teams seems plausible. Uh, Using 538, uh, every team in the Premier League, even Norwich City, is of higher quality than both CONCACAF Champions League finalists. Premier League uh, relegation battles feature teams that would be in the mix for a good playoff run in Liga MX or MLS. Same for La Liga and Bundesliga. So it's not the only factor driving Premier League relegation interest. Lots to take in there. <laughs> <Can't> Karthik, <take> any, <laughs> any thoughts? I, I know you're an expert yeah, on I, I,
0: go, I go. Yeah, I go to the 538 a lot, actually, to look at that soccer power index. And I, I, I don't know if – so Dave is right. He's exactly right in what he's saying. I don't know how much stock to put in it. But it is intriguing because based on that SPI, a lot of championship clubs are ahead of MLS clubs, which I tend to agree with. Uh, but then you have, I think, the added dynamic that according to that SPI, teams that are in the relegation zone in the Premier League are ahead of mid-table clubs and other top divisions in Europe, which is, uh, I think, kind of questionable. Uh, but we have some people in the mailbag who think Norwich uh, is better than the seventh-place team in, in 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 the Netherlands, I, and and uh, I'm not sure about that, right? I mean, I, this has been a back and forth for many years, even with people who like to critique the Bundesliga. Uh, since I like the Bundesliga, come at me and tell me Norwich is better than the third-place team in the Bundesliga, which I think is ridiculous. I've had that I had that direct uh, 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 comment recently that so- someone commented at me Norwich would finish in the Champions League place in the Bundesliga league which i think is absurd but if you look at the soccer power index on 538 it's like norwich watford they would be competing for european places in a lot of leagues so that so i don't know how much stock to put in it
2: yeah and it's a one-off game but and it is a cup competition but rangers beating rb leipzig over two legs was was eye-opening uh and that's something i would not have expected uh
0: same thing. Eintracht, though, is like the, the is is much closer to the relegation zone in Germany than to the top four. Very true. And They beat West Ham and they beat West Ham and they beat Barcelona.
2: Very true. Speaking of Barcelona, Kyle. So, what what about you? Like, do you put any weight in the uh, soccer power index or similar indexes uh, to to kind of rate teams? No, I don't
3: think so. I, th- I think I said earlier I don't like comparing teams from different countries and different leagues because we have no idea what that's going to look like. I think it's funny what Kart is talking about, how some people think uh, Norwich would be in a European spot in uh, the Bundesliga. It's pretty crazy to think about, and uh, I think they're so far, the, like just they are the worst team in the Premier League. Um, but no, in terms of those, you know, things like 5:38, you know, I don't put too much power into them. Don't really look at them too much. I'm more of a
2: results-based
3: guy and what I see on the field.
2: All right, well speaking of power, listeners, you have the power to send in your questions, your comments, your feedback, anything uh, you disagree or agree with us about, things that, that speak to you in regards to the things we talk about each week, which is oftentimes soccer media, uh, commentating, the viewing experience, streaming, uh, relegation promotion, teams, uh, going for the titles, et cetera. So go ahead and uh, send in your comments, questions and feedback to Web at worldsoccertalk.com via email, uh, facebook.com slash uh, worldsoccertalk, Twitter uh, is twitter.com slash worldsoccertalk, plus, of course, if you, of course, you can also, also go to the uh, World Soccer Talk website, and uh, we have a podcast thre- a thread there, and you can post your comments in the section there, and we'd love to hear from you. All right, listeners. uh, Heading into another weekend of football. Don't forget Sunday. We also have the Women's FA Cup final. Saturday's the FA Cup final, uh, title race in Italy and in England, Championship playoffs, uh, and uh, Liga MX playoffs. Also, there's so much going on. Kartik, what should they do?
0: Enjoy your football.